You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. If you have dreams or you're wondering how to make a bigger impact in this world, you're home. Welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends. I'm Deb, Mike's wife. I suggested this idea as a way to keep him busy and out of my way after he retired. So far, it's working. Thanks for listening. It's time for Mike Seminary and Friends. Welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends, the place where we strive to make a difference, a positive difference, provide you something of value. Heck, from my perspective, we just want to share good stuff. I'm your host, Mike Seminary, and I'm so grateful you've joined us. A big thanks to my friend David Hansen for my theme music, Continental Drift. Search for his work, Serotonin Waters and Moon Dot Soup on iTunes and Spotify. By the way, I appreciate your comments and guest suggestions. Keep them coming at MikeSeminary.com or Mike Seminary and Friends on Facebook. And please visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Today, I'm just thrilled to have as my guest an incredibly talented once internet entrepreneur turned contemporary abstract artist. And our visit today is proof there are still some wonderful things we can learn from TV news. Rick Lowe, welcome to Mike's Seminary and Friends. Thank you for taking time to join me. It's great to see you. How are you? Fine. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate it. I suppose I should back up a little bit, kind of give some more information about the TV news. Uh, Deb and I are in Florida and have been for a couple of months. And I, I like to watch local news because I, I like to know what, what's taking place, things I, I need to know, what's coming up. And I saw you being interviewed with regards to um, an art show. And I don't remember exactly the question you were asked, but your comeback was, how much time do we have? And so I watched it for a couple of minutes. I saw your work. I made a note and I said, I got to reach out to this guy because I love visiting with entrepreneurs. I love artisans, musicians. And so I called you and we got a hold of each other and you said, you'd come on and I really appreciate it. And, and that's the story. That's how I found out about Rick Rowe <laughs> from Fort Lauderdale. How was the show that day, by the way? Um, well, it's, it's a two day show. Naples national is a phenomenal show. It's one of the best in the country, one of the most difficult to get into. So whenever you're invited, it's, it's special. And uh, that proved to be the case um, over the two day weekend. Was that your First time, or you've been there before? No, that's my third time at oh, that awesome. show. The Naples, the Naples Art Association puts on three shows a year. One of them is called Naples New Year. The other is Naples National, and then Naples on Fifth in March. And um, and I've been lucky enough for the last, I'd say, three years to get into all three of them. That's that's just incredible and awesome. So, so let's back up into before you were doing this as a, a living 
you were an entrepreneur involved in the internet. Um, how, and then you sold your business. How did you end up being an entrepreneur in the internet world, especially kind of early on in the game? I had a, um, so I had a, uh, uh, another business I, I manufactured um, speaker equipment um, more of an assembly um, I purchased parts from different parts of the country and we um, we assembled them and then we sold them through a network um, all over the country uh, to, uh, to rental stores and uh, flea market vendors things of that nature um, so I had already been fairly successful uh, one day I was approached by my cousin, my cousin's husband, um, and asked that I, if I would be interested in investing in an internet startup. And, and this was in 1998. So the internet was just getting started and, uh, it was exciting to a lot of people and I, I wanted to do something. So I said, yeah. So, uh, I wrote him a check. I took a percentage of the company for it, uh, early. There was about seven of us to start, uh, within a year. Um, we were down to two. Um, so I, I bought out one of the other partners and, uh, took 50% ownership of the company and another partner uh, who happened to be a CPA and a programmer, which was a perfectly, uh, was perfect for what we did. We did, uh, and we became partners. We built the company over seven years and I ended up selling it then. During that, thanks for the background during that time, Rick. Were you using any of your creative talents other than, you know, building a business, obviously, were you exploring your creative talent capabilities? Well, you know, first of all, uh, as soon as I got out of high school, probably about a, a year later, uh, I, I was approached by someone. Um, they saw me dancing at a nightclub. Um, and I got hired as a professional dancer. I did that for about seven years. Um, and then my family, I've always been uh, in landscapes. My family's in landscape design. So uh, it's a form of art where, you, you know, color and composition and all of those things play a role in that. But I wasn't directly involved with my family. I was just always around it. So I always had the artistic sort of slant, but my first love was, had nothing to do with art. It was about being an entrepreneur. Well, you're still an entrepreneur, I guess, but now you're, you're in a completely different uh, medium, I guess would be a good way to say it. I, so then you, when you left, when you sold your company, you got into the landscape design business and you wanted to take it to kind of a different level, if that's a, a right yep. way to frame it. Perfect. And you were looking for ways to offer something really unique. What, what, what was that journey like for you? Well, that was, you know, that was how I found my love for art. You know, I have a, I have, I have to give a big thank you to a few people um, where that's concerned. But what happened was when I sold my finance company, I had some, some extra money. And um, I owned an eight-acre parcel of land near the Villages, Florida, which is the largest, largest retirement community in the country. They build about 500 homes a month. Um, and I had a parcel of land that I wasn't interested in selling. So when I sold the company, I uh, made a deal with my brother, who's a landscape designer, and uh, we became partners. I 
with with him curated the property over four or five years where we essentially took like home and garden displays but we we made them permanent on the property in in large format so we would we had putting greens and outdoor kitchens and and uh huge waterfalls and we had we created a brook through the property that you know came out of another section um built tiki huts and set up sheds all over the property where we where we put retail items for sale i imported uh you know basalts and that beautiful natural stone and uh pottery from from vietnam and china and we essentially we decorated four acres of the eight acres like a park that everything was for sale through retail um i i was uh I remember at the time during our grand opening, I was on the front page of the business section for the villages newspaper. Um, it was a really exciting time. And I, you know, I, I sort of segued from that to hiring a general manager, Renee Donnelly. She was a district manager for home goods. So she had a corporate background, which is what I was looking for. And, uh, but she had this love for art. She approached us and asked if she could convert one of the sheds into an art studio for herself to sell chalk paint. I, um, you know, I, I, w- I was thrilled. You know, I had a, an expert in retail marketing that also had an artistic, you know, you know, sense about her. So before I knew it, she, she had already talked to five or six other artists and I was buying sheds and converting them to little art studios with air conditioning they'd bring their kiln in and then we started having uh art small little art classes in another building i had and uh and then we started having art shows on my property so my kids and i would go up to the property for these little events that we would have and my kids absolutely loved it they would rather go to walt disney world i mean in fact i asked them would you go to want to go to walt disney world or do you want to go to the property where we're having an art show and and all three of my boys were like the the property, you know? So it was a little love and it taught me a lot about, you know, a lot of, you know, it was through the interaction with these artists that worked in the property, these conversations and looking at the colors that they did and everything that got me interested. By the way, is what you just described, does it still exist? Is, is it still operational? Well, what, so what happened, <laughs> you know, you know, we time is the most valuable thing we have. I think that's that's something that you mentioned at the beginning of this. So I had to make some choices when I became an artist. Um, my my very first show that I did. Um, so the answer to the question is it doesn't exist because I I um, I leased out the property to a kitchen and bath company, Granite Yard, and just re- recently sold it. Um, and, and the reason behind that was that I had, I had to make a choice between running multiple companies and I consider my art career a company, um, and the time I would spend with my family. So I decided to close that down, uh, and, uh, focus 100% on my art career. And, and the reason I asked, thanks for sharing that, Rick, is I would go there with the, what you just described. It's kind of like. Uh, uh, artisan coach workspace being shared while and Eric's uh, very experiential. If you're looking for ways to um, 
improve the landscape and appearance of your property, whether it's you know personal or, or commercial. And I would go there in a heartbeat. I, I would be yeah. just like your boys. I, I want to go there and experience that. That sounds right. so cool. So, you know, because it evolved constantly. There was always a new display going up. It was, you know, at the time, I never thought I would enjoy anything more than, than running that. I mean, I was I live four hours away. So I was, my brother ran it actually uh, with Renee Donnelly. And, and essentially it was an investment for me. I had an export company at the time also. Um, but, you know, so we had a, you know, I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur. I also own car dealerships. So. Um, I, I took, you know, I took the, uh, the love of that. And I, when I was home, the property was so large. So I started creating pieces of art that I thought were interesting, you know, to place on my property and, um, you know, which ultimately led me to what I do today. So let's start there with regards to what you're doing today, because you just said you wanted to create some art. What, what were some of the, because you were a dancer, an entrepreneur, um, uh, part of a internet startup company, and nowhere along the line did I hear that you had experience in producing art. How did that start when you said, I, I, I've got to find a way to contribute here? Well, you know, I'll take it a step further. Not only did I have no experience with art, you know, I've been married to my wife. We've been together for 18 or 19 years now. And I think at this time we were at like year 14. And I remember when this all started developing, we were watching TV. She paused the television and she turned to me. She goes, I've been with you for 14 years and you've never, ever brought up the fact that you wanted to be involved or be an artist. It's never even been a conversation how is this possible? Like, how, you know, and at that point, you know, I had already been, you know, I had already started with multiple mediums for my property. I started picking up old pallets from the back of, you know, dump, uh, dumps, uh, uh, like uh, dumpsters, you know, and uh, I was making pallet furniture. It was horrible. Oh, I can't even, like, I wouldn't even show anybody a picture of what I began doing. And then I started repurposing old hutches. Uh, with chalk paint because Renee Donnelly had taught me how to do that. I would change the hardware out and then I would take a form board and I would make a concrete countertop for it. Uh, one day I had infused gas, landscape glass, blue landscape glass through the center of it. And when I turned it over, it was beautiful, but it was jagged and sharp towards the center. So I had to fill it with something that would be safe for my kids to touch. So I leveled it off by using resin, and that's where the idea came for me to use resin, uh, you know, as a as the form of art. So I started mixing just a plethora of different type of colorant uh, into the vat of resin, and, and I started painting with it. And then I would I would experiment with different chemicals and, and different uh, materials like glass and metal. And essentially, it was, I, I still remember the day that I had figured this out. Um, I, had, I walked into my, I was in my garage at the time, and I had painted this piece, and I had dripped this chemical on it, and it, it created like this oil-to-water-like reaction, and it bound up the metal, and it pushed it to the edge so it wasn't blotchy. 
And I, I remember looking at that and watching it develop over about five minutes. And, and I was so happy. And I said, if this dries properly, this is, this is going to change our lives. So I went in, I told my wife, I went to bed the next morning. I, I couldn't sleep. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning. I went outside, I touched it. It was dry. I, I couldn't even believe it. And I, I said, I, now I know what to do. And I went to work. I remember calling my general manager. Uh, we were about to have a, a showcase in the villages called a village home and garden show. It wasn't on my property, but it was in the villages where the masses went, you know, thousands of people. So I called her and I said, I need you to set up a separate, separate booth. Uh, give me 10 foot. I'm going to bring some artwork up. And uh, that's what I did. And, and that's, that was the beginning of my career. By the way, folks, if, if you're curious, there's a video at Rick's website where he's showing us how some of this works, which, and by the way, it is, he has a non-provisional patent for the process. So I suspect he's not going to go into much more detail than he just did, (laughs) but it's Rick, R-I-C-K, low, L-O-W-E, art, A-R-T, ricklowart.com. Wonderful gallery there. The video is, it's fairly short and it's fascinating and he just described what you'll see, I think, to a T when you go there. So, so you, you, you woke up at four in the morning. It, it was exactly what you were hoping for. You go to the show at the Villages, your 10-foot booth. What happened at the, at the uh, show? Uh, I, I get so excited when I think about that. It, it was the beginning of what changed our lives. Not that our, life, our lives weren't good before this, but you have to understand I was, I was working in a profession that I hated. I was miserable every day. And the week before I had gone up to the show, or, or actually the week before I discovered the final process, my wife prayed and said, I, I pray that my husband finds a talent that he doesn't really know he has yet. And uh, shortly after that, uh, I went up to do the show. It was a, it was a, I believe it was around February. It was 50 degrees. There was clouds everywhere. It was sprinkling. I, I was really disappointed because of the weather, but I, I laid everything out. Uh, we had a 30-foot booth. 10 foot of it was isolated from my artwork. I, I even put, it's funny because if you saw my booth now um, and you saw that booth, you, you wouldn't even believe the difference. It, it, anyway, we, I would take pallets and put them on like an A-frame and then lean the artwork on it. Some of them were leaning on the ground. I, um, I was there for about five hours before it got rained out, but at the close, at that five-hour mark when it was pouring, I had a people. I had people waiting in line to buy the artwork uh, under my tent. Um, I ended up selling twelve pieces in five hours, um, it, and and I I remember my wife called me to ask how I was doing on my way home, like how I had done, and I I couldn't I couldn't even talk. I was going to cry. I, I was so overwhelmed by the comments. And the fact that people would use their hard-earned money uh, to purchase something that I, an idea that I had in my head. And remember, I, I had never watched a single video. I'd never seen anybody work in resin. And, and to this day, there's, you know, there's nobody that does what I do. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so I had to call her back and finally told her what I did. And we were just, it was just incredible. I, uh, I ended up going to my second show uh, the following week. I ended up selling, I doubled my prices 
because I, I could see I was selling them too cheap. Uh, I doubled the prices and I sold eight pieces that weekend. And what really changed our lives is in between those two shows, I got a call from a high-end furniture store called Judith Norman, and they asked to see some of them. I pulled it back. The owner walked out. It was a 100,000-square-foot retail space of beautiful furniture. I mean, really high-end. And they ended up buying 20 pieces from me in the back of their studio out of my landscape trailer. <laughs> then, uh, then I left there. I went to my third show. This is all in one month. My third show, I had doubled my prices again, which essentially made them four times what my original pricing was. And at that show, that's when everything stopped for me um, besides the artwork. I, I sold 12 pieces at four times my original price. And the same thing happened. There were people waiting in line to talk to me. There were, I was overwhelmed, I'll be honest with you. The first month as an artist, I got into New River Gallery on Las Olas, one of the oldest galleries in Fort Lauderdale, uh, Matt Gallery uh, out of Fort Lauderdale, and of course, Judith Norman. I ultimately sold 50 pieces in my first month as an artist. I closed down the Garden Center. Um, I, I uh, leased it for a short time before I just recently sold it. And uh, I handed my partner in our export company the keys to our business, and I said, you can have 100% of it. Uh, which was a lucrative company, but I knew that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I'm getting goosebumps for a couple, <laughs> for a couple of reasons. First of all, I just love the excitement in your voice, but I also I kind of capsulize what I just heard. Your wife and you are sitting on watching TV. She turns to you, Art. I had no idea. I've known you this long that I've never you've never used the word art in a sentence i'm paraphrasing what she said yeah you go and do this show she's praying for you because you hated what you were doing your wife's praying for you and i've always said here's how god answers prayers no yes not now but here's the fourth way. here's a fourth way yes now and in a big way and that's exactly what happened <laughs> for you guys that is such a cool story <laughs> you know uh it, it's gotten better and better because um, it's, it's, so it's gotten much better than that even now where now the European galleries have my work. I have galleries in the United States. Um, I've, I'm able to work with charities. Now there's a lot of philanthropic things that my wife and I are doing, um, just to give back, uh, because we're so grateful. It's, it's, and it, it, I would say it's unusual, but I think that it's, it's a matter of putting your mind to something and not letting anybody dissuade you. I will tell you a quick story that happened to me at the very beginning before I had ever sold anything. And I was working on the process. I took a piece to a, an artist district in Fort Lauderdale and I went into a gallery and the owner of the whole complex, probably like 50 stores, the art community, uh, was an art collector and uh, I showed him the work and he's like, Oh, that's, that's pretty. Maybe you should work on tables. Maybe you should do that on tables. And um, it, it kind of like, I remember leaving there thinking a lesser person would be deflated by the comments that he made to me. Um, and, but I wouldn't let anybody dissuade me. I could, I could already see that I could already read the tea leaves. And uh, I think that's a big lesson for people to, 
they're going to be detractors no matter what you do. And they're going to be people tell you that you shouldn't do it. But if you're convicted and you put your, the effort in, you know, the results, you know, will, will come. <laughs> it's funny. You just answered the question. Uh, every guest gets two questions from me. Most of them are never prepared. We just talk, right? Like, like we're doing right now. Going back to the TV interview, how much time do you have? Well, we got we have about as much time as we want. If we want to talk a couple hours, we could do that because it's a podcast. But I always ask if you had a magic wand, you could wave over the heads of somebody. And for you, one of the questions was going to be for people that are, hate what they're doing and they have some creative juices in, in their body that they want to make use of, what, what's the one thing you would want them to know? And clearly what you just said is one of them. But what would be another thing you'd want them to know, by the way, if they were like you, they didn't like what they were doing, they felt trapped, but they also felt that they have some significant creative juices that they could put to work. What would you want them to know, Rick? Well, you know, so I'm a risk taker just by my nature as an entrepreneur. So doing this didn't feel uncomfortable for me. Um, and, and I guess my, what I would want people to know is that you could, you will never do anything better than something that you're passionate about. You'll never do anything better in your life. It, because when you're fulfilled and you feel that sense of, of joy working in what you're doing, regardless of what it is, a, a doctor, uh, you know, you know, a construction worker, if you love what you do, you're always going to be better at it. Um, so, you know, my, I, I think, and I say this to a lot of young artists or, or people that's, they come by and they ask me these questions, you know, how do I get started? You no, know, what I, I'm an artist. Look at, can you, can you see what I do? I, I always engage those people. I always, in fact, even if I have somebody waiting to purchase a piece of art, I like to take the time to encourage, you know, people that, that want to do this. And, and I think that, you know, having regrets is probably one of the worst things that you can, you can feel. So you have to go out and try it. And even if it's just part-time at first, even if you just do a local fair or, a, you know, a, a, a farmer's market or something, I promise you, it's just so rewarding uh, that, you know, it's worth the risk. Even if, even if you feel rejected afterwards, just understand that art is subjective. Not everybody's going to like what you do. My next question, and I, I know I have a friend that is really successful at contemporary abstract art, and I, her name's Jessica Walker. I've never asked her this question. I also have friends that are very gifted artists that do landscapes, uh, one that does everything in watercolors. And what she does is just absolutely stunning. I have friends that do incredible portraits. And all of those except Jessica, there's an object that they're focusing on. So my question is, when you're doing contemporary abstract, where does the, you know, the, the vision come from and when you're doing the process, and I don't want you to reveal secrets with, with regards to the resin, when do you know this is it? Well, part, I mean, a lot of it's intuitive. I mean, that's the gift from God, right? I, don't, I can't explain to you how it came so natural, but it did from the beginning. And, and, and like anything, the more you work on it, the better you get. Um, so, 
you know, when I'm working, I will literally, before I go start painting, I will, I'll wake up at six o'clock in the morning and I'll lay there for an hour, just putting together in my mind the detail I want to do with specific pieces. And I might have five ideas in my head. And then when I go to work, I don't write anything down, but when I go to work, I, I, recol- I, I sort of think back at what my ideas were. And then I start, I start painting and then it, and that, and that's where it's organic, you know, where, um, where I lay my color is intentional. I don't, I don't do what they call dirty pour. Uh, I, I paint, uh, you know, in a very a specific way when I'm painting, I'm merging colors, but I see it in the moment and I have to work very, very quickly. And that's just, again, God's gift to me that I'm able to see it quickly and, and move quickly. And then I, the most important thing is knowing when to stop. And at first I didn't, you know, I would overwork a piece, but it's been, you know, it's been a long time since I've finished a piece that I wasn't satisfied with. When you say working quickly, do you, you're working quickly because it's it's, it's liquid, it's moving, and it's resin, well, or both? Resin has a certain amount of work time, so you only have about thirty or forty minutes to finish to finish a, a specific layer, you know, to get what you want out of it. If you if you get past that point. Um, pieces get ruined. It's why a lot of people don't work in large scale, um, and I and I do um, almost pri- almost exclusively. You do custom pieces or commission, whatever the proper term is. I'm not sure. Commission. Commission. How does a customer tell you what they're thinking, or they give you the liberty? I want you to create something and just create it. Well. They'll share with me, like, so there's a process for me, almost like a designer, where I'll ask them to send me pictures of the space for scale, and then I will consult them on that. And then, you know, the, the colorway, you know, they'll see pieces on my website or my Instagram, Rick Art. They'll, they'll send me images of pieces they like, and then I'll use their taste when I look at this, their furniture and everything in their house. And I will make recommendations based on the pieces that they showed me they liked for the colors and the textures. And then I will basically look at the space. We make, we come to an understanding on it. I tell them the price. Um, and then I produce the piece and sometimes two pieces. So they have a choice between, you know, one or the other. Um, and I don't take deposits because it's the most important thing, uh, is that I have my artistic, you know, um, uh, I have artistic license. I can't, I can't take direction from someone while I'm painting. In fact, I have three assistants and they're not allowed to talk to me while I'm painting. And they're not allowed to make suggestions either because in my head, it's, it's, it's like two steps ahead of, you know, where my body is. Um, yeah. So, so, and, and a lot of times the client has a vision for what they want and that's why I'll paint two pieces because what they want and what I think is right um, are two different things. And I'll paint my version. I'll paint their version. And almost exclusively, they buy mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I want to go back to something you said to make sure I understood the importance. You don't take deposits because in some way that's almost confining or restrictive to your creative thought process? That's right. And in addition to that, there's a business decision behind that. If 
I know what I'm capable of. I've done hundreds of commissions. I've had very few rejections. I mean, like less than a handful. Um, so I, I don't want them to feel pressure that they're obligated to purchase something that they're not thrilled with. I'm a pleaser. I want them to be ecstatic about what I've, you know, what I've finished. If I haven't met their expectation, I don't deserve to sell that to them. So that's my feeling. Um, I also paint faster than a lot of artists. So if I had, if, you know, some artists take a month or two or three to finish a painting, in that case, you have to take a deposit. You put too much effort into the piece. Uh, but in my, in my case, because I paint fast, it, I'm happy to do it that way. And if they don't purchase it, then I'll sell it to someone else. The typical art piece uh, takes about 30 minutes. So that's, that's, that's an actual moving or painting. That's just time. One, no, that's just one stage of it. Okay. And that's just one layer. Right. Okay. So you've had hundreds of commissions and just a handful of rejections, and you've been doing this four years. Uh, this is my sixth year. Six year. Holy moly. <laughs> I'm so glad I, sold, I saw you on the news. <laughs> last year I sold 400 pieces. Oh man. And now you're, you're global. You you have well, yeah. Your work everywhere. One hundred and thirty of those that I sold last year were sold to a gallery group out of the Netherlands. They ended up. We shipped our last, our first twenty to Paris last week, um, and then the rest go to Rotterdam, Amsterdam, Ibiza, Spain, and Dusseldorf, Germany. And then once they get there. They'll go to those galleries and then they'll be redistributed to other galleries, other parts of Europe and the Middle East. Three assistants and you and you're producing. That sounds just like that's almost scale to me. It sounds like with well, you and three people. So my assistants have different roles. One of my assistants prepares and preps the substrate. Um, that's a full-time job. Then another assistant, uh, once I mix the colors, he will mix the catalyst for me. It's just the, the, the part of the resin that creates the chemical reaction that, that creates, hardens it because I'm mixing the colors. I'm moving on to a, the painting. I'm painting a painting, a previous painting. Once he's done, he brings me the colors and I start to apply that to another painting. So I, I work on multiple paintings at the same time. I can, I can work on 10 paintings in a day um, and then finish them, you know, usually within that week. So like I said, I, I paint very fast and, and, you know, I'll, you know, I guess uh, I'm not complaining, but I haven't really had a day off this year. So. It doesn't sound like you could. I mean, <laughs> you've got a lot of demand for your work, which is, it's a blessing. That's great. But you also have, there are times you have to rest. Well, so like I, I say that, but um, so for example, it, it's two o'clock or I, I came home at two o'clock today. I'm usually home by two o'clock. So I'm always home when my kids get home. We, we spend a lot of time, my family, to, uh, my kids sometimes will assist me at a show. I, I have three boys, 13, 15, and 16. I created a, a, I had an idea because they didn't want to go to shows with me before. So now I pay them 
uh, a certain amount of money every show. A portion of that goes into an investment account. The other portion goes to them. If they decide to give me any of their portion back, then I match that amount and add that to their investment account. Um, so it's a sort of a, a way for me to spend more time individually with my, my sons in addition to the time I spend uh, at home um, and also teach them about delayed gratification. If they give me the majority of the money, I match it. And then about you know how investing works. So the, you know I'm teaching my children also the entrepreneurial aspect of what I do, which someday they may not want to be artists, but I suspect they'll want to be some form of an entrepreneur. You, you, you just shared something that almost every public school administrator should find a way to implement at least a portion of it in the curriculum because it's so practical. It's so important. So you have work, you're compensated, how to invest it, how you can get returned by uh, uh, following the mentor, if you will. Uh, And you also refer to sharing in terms of you and your wife are are giving back. So you share, save, spend. That's uh, yeah. There's the class right there. (laughs) <laughs> right. So we're, we're working with a charity right now called Four Kids, the number four kids. It's a a Christian-based organization, which I'm not supposed to say that because they don't want to, anybody to think that they don't qualify. Everyone does. But they, um, they uh, help uh, place children through foster care. And they've done an amazing job. They have an age-out program. They have psychiatrists, psychologists on staff that help the families that are losing the children, help the families that have them. They have a program where uh, they they vet certain individuals once you pass their vetting, uh, criminal backgrounds, all those things. They allow certain people to go into the foster family home, take the children for the day, give the family a break. There's this beautiful thing. In fact, uh, your wife met uh, one of the the CEO, he attended the show. Uh, he attended the show to, to for me to make introductions to philanthropic uh, people that I've done business with in Naples. And he made some phenomenal connections. We raised, we've raised about $35,000 in the last month uh, for them. And, uh, you know, just doing, you know, doing something that's bigger than us and, and, and that has more of an impact than just, you know, beautiful art, which of course is important. But, you know, there are other things that are important and we're working on those now. Is four kids regional or how, what's their footprint like? They have uh, Miami-Dade, Broward County, Palm Beach County, uh, then up from Collier County all the way up to, I think, Sarasota County. So they, they actually they just got a big grant to open up a location they're going to probably purchase a piece of property um, in Fort Myers uh, that uh, they'll begin operating from on the, on the West coast of Florida. So right now they're, but their, their program is amazing. The the average time for a child to be in foster care, a specific family is 400 days. Their families are averaging a thousand days. Uh, The adoption rate is phenomenal. They've just done this amazing job. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's my wife and I's charity that we're now directly involved with in a lot of ways. Here's a dumb question. And by the way, thank you for sharing what you just did for kids. Um, I, I'm going to social media that thing too. Uh, nothing more important than taking care of our kids. You're incredibly 
busy. You have a lot of orders, commission work. Why do you maintain a fairly aggressive travel schedule to go to uh, other shows and galleries? Well, the reason that I, you know, it's not, so my year is front end loaded. January, February, March, and April are busy seasons for Florida. When I start to travel around the country, one of I have a fifth assistant that drives to those shows and sets those shows up for me. I fly into them. When the show's done on Sunday, I walk off, I fly home. Um, so, but then I limit that to usually around two shows per month instead of four shows per month that I do in the beginning of the year. My season slows down and then I start to build up inventory. Um, this year is a little different because of the deal I have with Cobra Art Company out of the Netherlands. Um, they will probably be ordering another 50 or 100 paintings in the next three or four months. And then that will require that I cancel some shows and I start focusing more on just painting and not uh, traveling. Um, but you have to understand, I love that part of it. You know, it, you know, my background is sales and I love the interaction between, you know, the, the client and myself. I mean, you can never hear this is beautiful enough. Um, the gratitude, uh, the smiles on people's face faces. You know, I, I do this once in a while. I'll have a, a family. I had it happen in St. Armand's recently where a child came into my booth just you know, when an eight-year-old really loves something you do and they're not, you know, and then they have this mature perspective on it. And, and I'm having a conversation. The parents are standing back watching with a smile. You know, it's moving to me. So sometimes I'll, I'll take a piece of art, usually around a couple thousand dollars, and I'll give it as a gift. And I did that in St. Armand's. Uh, the mother started crying. It was just this most, the most beautiful thing. I've had that happen at least a dozen times in my career. And to think that I could produce something that could bring somebody to tears because of the gift, you know, and I know that they couldn't afford it. Uh, she was a teacher and, and I, you know, that, that is so rewarding to me way beyond the money or, you know, the, the compliments. Uh, it's just a special life. You were about three years into your artistic career when COVID hit. What, what did that do for you, especially, you know, March of 20 through probably the end of that year? Well, I was, um, so my wife and I had been renting um, in Parkland, Florida, um, and we had had the school shooting and everything, and we weren't sure that we wanted to stay in Parkland, but um, we decided that if we did, there was a specific community we wanted to live in. And so we, we began the process of purchasing a home uh, all the way to the point of deposit. Uh, the pandemic hit. All of a sudden, my shows started canceling like dominoes, one after the next, after the next. Um, I had just gotten back from California. The La Quinta Art Festival was put on by the La Quinta Art Foundation. Uh, it's the number one show in the country. So I had just gotten back from that show. Uh, the Friday before was a show in Juno Beach that was canceled. And then they, like I said, like dominoes, they all started to fall. So I got very scared and I uh, pulled out of the purchase. Uh, we were, both my wife and I, it was, it, was a house, it was our dream home. And I just said, I can't take the chance. So not even a, two weeks after that, 
I started receiving phone calls and emails for clients because all of the shows were canceling, but they were waiting for me for, for whatever state they were calling from. Um, and before you know it, I was busier than I was when I was doing shows with commission work. And I realized that people were going to be stuck at home and they were going to make adjustments and this was going to actually benefit uh, my career. So we ended up purchasing a house that we liked even better. Um, and I started painting in my garage. I pulled out of my studio. I had, cl- I had basically let go of my assistants, um, but I quickly brought them back in, which was really exciting to me because, you know, they, they were depending on the income. And uh, so COVID really, and I was also fortunate because the West Coast of Florida, when they were canceling shows, the first stage of this pandemic, uh, you know, everybody canceled. But when it came back, it came back, the first show was in Fort Lauderdale in October, not this past October, the one before. And then in January, Fort Lauderdale decided that it had gotten too bad. This is the one year into COVID. And they started canceling all our shows. But I had applied for all my shows on the West Coast of Florida, where the majority of my clients are. Almost every show on the West Coast of Florida stayed, uh, stayed open where everybody on the East coast of Florida was canceling. And so I had a phenomenal year that year. And then this year, I mean, this last full year was the best year I've ever had. And, and this year, by the way, looks to be at least 30% better than that. You're a blessed guy. I'm telling you, I'm curious about this, Rick, in terms of people that, uh, I'm going to say commission versus come to the gallery and buy something or come to a show and buy something. When you're commissioned, what percentage of it is for uh, a commercial setting or a new home and they're going to design a room around that piece maybe or an existing home where they want to have something featured in the home? So there's, a, I would say, 5% of it's commercial. Uh, which is surprising because I do really big pieces. It's also because uh, with commercial projects, they have spec architects and they have, you know, a design firm out of say New York or, or a big design firm somewhere who, who basically builds their properties out, does the, the core and everything. Um, but, you know, so let's say 5% of mine, cause I will have associations come and I've done really big stuff, but uh and, the majority of it is from an existing home. I'd say 60% of it. And, you know, 30% of it is homes that are, were just finished or in the process of being finished. What's your schedule like the, the, the in terms of, I know people can go to the website, but somebody listening to this in, when we push it out, where are you going to be at the middle of March, the end of March and through most of April? Where, where are your travels? So my next show is in the in the first week in March, um, in La Quinta, California. Again, you know that's the top show in the country. My my assistant has to drive thirty two hours for that show all by itself. Um, so it it you know for me it's a it's a different patron on that that coast. It's exposure to new a lot of Canadians, people from Arizona, and that. Um, area, Los Angeles, San Diego, um, 
designers from that area, which I work with a lot of designers also. I should have, I should have said some percentage of this work comes through designers. Um, so I have that show and then uh, they, he has to immediately come back on Monday uh, for the show, a show in Juno Beach the following weekend. Um, and then I have another one in Sarasota at the end of March. Um, and then starting in April, I have shows that uh, towards the end of April, I should say, shows in Texas like Cottonwood, um, Dogwood. Cottonwood is in Dallas, Texas. Dogwood, which is in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and then, you know, it, it goes from there. Philadelphia, um, Alexandria, Virginia, uh, New York, uh, you know, those areas. So six years ago, you were doing something you hated. Your wife said a prayer for you. And within 30 days, the world kind of changed, hasn't it? Back then. It, it, I can't even, like, I can't even explain to you how surreal it was for my wife and I, especially because literally every show I was doing, I, 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 was, I just mentioned the show in Atlanta, Dogwood. Um, so... I quickly realized that, you know, that people, this was visceral. People saw it, loved it, purchased it. And so I went from a 10-foot booth to a 20-foot booth almost immediately within three or four months of of doing the shows. I, uh, But I I realized after that show in Atlanta, it was the first show out of the state that I had had done. Um, A friend of mine had shown up. In fact, the first person at the the villages that ever bought a piece of art for me professionally. came to the show. She lived in Atlanta and she had to be in the villages um, on vacation, uh, an avid golfer, but her and her husband came to the show to hang out with me. She took a picture. Cause I didn't really, I was so busy. She took a picture. There was 12 people in line waiting in line to talk to me at that show. I sold every piece of art that I had. I left the show empty and I, I told myself I will, from an entrepreneurial perspective, I will never, I will never run out of art again. Um, so (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So after that, you know, I, I started, you know, bringing a lot of additional work. I went to a 20 foot booth. I would, I even constructed, you know, uh, storage so that I could roll it into the show and slide out pieces to, to show, uh, potential customers. I just went to your Instagram account. I thought I was following. I wasn't. That, by the way, is Rick underscore low underscore art. And I happen to notice one of the more high profile artists, and he's also an instructor in the city where we live, Bismarck, North Dakota, is following you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> His name is Paul Newt. Oh, that's interesting. What else should we know about you, Rick? I have a beautiful wife. We've been married 20 years. Uh, way too pretty for me. Um, I have three boys, uh, 13, 15, and 16, that I have to keep in line constantly. <laughs> uh, I have very close to my family, my, my extended family, my brother, my sisters. Uh, I, I, we just lead up. We, we've, I think God's greatest gift to me is my ability in the moment to appreciate what I have. And that's, you know, I think that's, I think that's the most special thing about who I am, that I, I can 
I can be super excited and, and, you know, know that when something's happening, that it's special. And it, so I won't look back and say, God, I wish I would have really appreciated that. I, I also would like people to know that I spent a lot of time with my family. In spite of the fact that I work seven days a week, when my kids get home from school, I'm here. I greet them. I take them to school every morning. Uh, I do miss out on the weekends. You know, about 25 weekends a year, um, I'm gone. Uh, but if it's in Florida, if it's if the show if I have a show and it's two and a half hours away or less, um, I, at the end of the show I drive home so I can have dinner with my family, and then I get up early in the morning the next morning and drive back. My family's the most important thing to me, but besides God. Yeah, Rick, thanks so much for taking time to join me. His website is rickloart.com. And on Instagram, Rick underscore low underscore art. I'm so appreciative of you coming on. You're a great guy, great family. You're giving back. You're helping four kids, precious organization. And you're just getting blessed more and more all the time. And I think that's just a great thing, Rick. Thanks, Thanks for Rick. taking time to join me. My, the, the pleasure was all mine. You take good care. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. You are profoundly appreciated. Where would I be without the team at Q1 Network? Anna DeVere, Ashley Harris, Bo Hastings, and Marlo Anderson. And my wife, Deb. Deb really orchestrates all of this for me. I have an incredible wife, partner, and friend. Thanks again for listening to Mike Seminary and Friends. Until we chat again, love y'all.